You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator David Story. It is Saturday, January 23rd, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online on the radio and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, January 24th, 2021 on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama. Today we are talking to Ryan Kakaris with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades about the PRO Act. We are talking about a surprisingly encouraging first few days from the Biden administration, taking calls and more on today's Valley Labor Report. So thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, We appreciate your time. If you want to see what we are up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. And if you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for the Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there. And we also clip segments throughout the week. So if you see something that looks interesting to you, but you don't want to listen to the whole show, you can just find it there. Uh, We also upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.fm slash subscribe. You can go to our website to find out more about us, thevalleylaborreport.org. And finally, if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air, uh, you can send us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. Listener support goes a long way, and we really appreciate those of you who are supporting us currently on Patreon. Uh, so, on to the interview. Today, we've got on the line Ryan Kakaris. He is the Communications Director for the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. Ryan, thanks for talking to us this morning. Yeah, hey guys. Happy to be here. Fantastic. We're glad to have you. Uh, so, first off, you're the Communications Director. Really quick, are you the one that runs IUPAT's Twitter account? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> you are great. I love, I love, the, I love, uh, I if you're, coming. if you're not following the Painters Union on Twitter, you, you need to be doing that. It's a really great follow. Uh, it is, it is fire, as the kids say. Uh, you can find them at go IUPAT, at go IUPAT. Uh, so, 
Um, Ryan, b- before we go into the PRO Act, could you tell us a little bit about what brought you to the labor movement? Like, why, why have you kind of decided that this is what I want to spend my time doing? So, you know, I, um, I come from a family of construction workers. Uh, my, my, grandf- my grandfather was, a, I think, a 50-something-year member of the operating engineers in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, you know, I, I grew up fairly poor. Um, I've been working since I was 16. Um, I think we all know the value of, of uh, how hard we work and, and what it's like not to have a labor union. So it kind of made me dedicated to, to making that better. And, um, you know, I grew up in the South uh, as well. Um, my, I grew up in uh, Southern Virginia on a tobacco farm and my, my mother's family were all from North Carolina. So I know what it's like to live in a, a very depressingly anti-worker state. Um, and I know the value of, of, you know, the union difference, I guess, to be cliche. Um, so it kind of made me dedicated, you know, I worked at Walmart, uh, McDonald's and all the kind of famously anti-union companies. So, you know, I know what it's like, and I, I think every person deserves a union and, uh, I, I really wanted to spend my my time and my effort making sure that's a, a reality. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, Ryan, you and I know what it's like working in a non-union shop. David has no idea. He's never worked in a non-union <laughs> shop. Actually, he's been <laughs> he's been fortunate enough to have a union job his whole life. Fourth generation Alabama unionist. Uh, so, so you know, he he was really fortunate in that. But you know, of course, he's he's thankful to have it, and that's why he's here. Um, but but yeah, yeah that's I, what know, we're all shooting for, you know. Right. I mean, yeah, I worked at I worked at a restaurant, and um, you know, I mean, the owner uh, worked in a restaurant in Huntsville. The owner lived in Chattanooga. He would come down a couple times a year and check on us, and uh, you know, our labor was able to get him two houses and a jet ski. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so. Yeah, I, I bet he appreciated that too. Yeah, right? I'm, yeah, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Just didn't appreciate it enough to give you good pay and benefits, right? <laughs> yeah, that that's true. So you know, we're here to about uh, we're here to talk about the Pro Act. So uh, Ryan, what tell us what is the Pro Act? So you know, I guess to to put it in context, right? It's been over a hundred years since we've had any sort of positive federal labor law reform in this country. Um, ever since 1935, with the passage of the NLRA. It's, it's more or less been downhill for the average working person. Um, you know, after Taft-Hartley, we, we've had tons of Supreme Court decisions. Uh, it's been just kind of a, a death by a thousand cuts for the average working person in this country. And, and really, to me, the way I like to think about it is the, the PRO Act is restoring a lot of the rights that the average working person had in the past that were taken away from us. Uh, many of our uh, grandparents and great-grandparents had... You know, I, I think people don't even realize the, the, the difference here, the amount of rights that they had on the job that, that we don't have now. And so the PRO Act would restore a lot of those rights. Um, things like, you know, uh, being able to strike, being able to more or less exercise your, your free speech at work um, and, and to choose where you want to work and how you want to work and, and under what conditions you want to work. Uh, the PRO Act would restore those things. And one of the things that really... Uh, uh you know, we, we uh, Jacob and I both do a lot of organizing in the community and organizing around unions. And one of the things that really, uh, when I started reading the Pro Act in depth, was the was the 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 card check ability, and for for union organizers and for and really for workers that want to form a union, that streamlines and takes a lot of that redundancy out 
of organizing and and getting a union in place. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I know some people might be familiar with uh, in 2008 when Obama was elected, there was uh, a bill that was proposed called the Employee Free Choice Act. Um, Obama campaigned on that bill. Um, you know, they swore up and down. They would pass that bill. Yeah. Uh, well, we found out pretty quickly into his first administration that they had no intention of fighting for that bill. Yeah. Um, it it kind of went out with a whimper a little bit. Um, and I think part of what we wanted to do with this campaign was to uh, around the Pro Act was to to kind of learn from those mistakes. And, you know, one of the reasons we, we you know started this campaign so early, which was, I think, a couple months ago now, um, was we wanted to get on the, you know, uh, the capacity and we wanted to build the kind of grassroots and uh, decentralized you know, nationwide movement to, to make sure that uh, Biden will live up to his pledge to, to pass this bill. And so, you know, the, the big provision out of the Employee Free Choice Act was card check, which is more or less means that once a, a simple majority of workers on a job site signs a, a basically a card or, or a form saying they want to form a union, then the union's formed. You don't have to go through the the protracted process uh, that workers have to go through right now, uh, which basically can be delayed, can be fought in mm-hmm. court, can be, uh, you know, interfered with by the employer. And it more or less is uh, overwhelmingly um, the pro act would, would prevent those employers from, from drawing that process out. It would prohibit them from interfering in union elections. It would, you know, basically restore us to where we were in 1936, um, allowing workers to freely exercise their right to form a union. Yeah, and 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 restore some democracy in the workplace because what we're exactly. seeing right now with, uh, for example, with RDWSU down in Bessemer with Amazon, they've already agreed on on the bargaining unit, and, yeah. you know, and it's like, and now uh, we talked about yesterday where we would uh, we've been following it extremely closely and put out a tweet yesterday that you know once again uh i think january 21st amazon's lawyers came back in there trying to delay the election again to give them more time to hold captive audience meetings and Mm -hmm. and try to find some people to terminate so you know it does away with a lot of this uh you know uh, this company thugism Mm -hmm. you know uh, we get we get termed union thugs constantly but uh you know, in a union election, the company is generally the thug. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, a lot of folks, like, they really don't understand just how much. We, we, we really, um, most people are revulsed by politicians trying to take a person's right to vote away. They would be revulsed by uh, physical um, intimidation or into like um, you know economic pressure being put on a person like like you know if if a boss told a worker if you vote for Joe Biden I'm gonna fire you right we would all everybody you know would recognize that is terrible but like they don't know that that happens all the time it's not those words like the 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 message is communicated all the time in union elections and it's drawn out and and there are these huge campaigns built around union busting and the trumps in lrb recently allowed for what amounts to card check for decertification but (laughs) we, we can't have card check 
to bring a union in, but we can have card check to get a union out. So that shows that, you know, the bosses who controlled the Trump administration, they know that card check is an easier campaign to win for either side if, if you're if you're doing that kind of campaign. So the bosses want to be able to do to have card check for the for a decertification campaign, but not to bring a union in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that what, what you're seeing and what you just, both just laid out is um, that it, it has been basically official U.S. government policy for I don't know, 70 years now that the employer's right to, to bust a union is more important than your right as working people to form a union. Um, and, and we've seen that in a million different you know, laws and regulations and executive actions and Supreme Court decisions. And you know, looking at Amazon as an example, um, almost everything you laid out would be illegal if the PRO Act yeah. were the law of the mm-hmm. land today. Exactly. Um, they, they do their usual tricks where they want to expand the bargaining unit to include uh, as many people as possible, but only the people that they think are likely to vote against the union. Right. Um, or, or to exclude people that would want to vote for the union, that would be illegal. Captive audience meetings would be illegal. Um, the hilariously bad uh, anti-union consulting firm that I'm sure they're paying just millions Billions. and millions of dollars oh, to yep. uh, w- would be heavily regulated under the PRO Act. They would have to they would have to more or less post a notice saying, hey, we're hiring people. We're spending this amount of money to, to persuade you not to join a union. Right. Um, so all those things would be different under the PRO Act. And, you know, it, it's not a perfect bill, but I think that the it would make a world of difference to the average person and would really you know balance out the playing field to say that your rights as a working person are every bit as important as Jeff Bezos is right to make, you know, I don't know, a million dollars a second or however much he makes. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, seriously, that, you know, that's really important to to hit home that, you know, the people that are pushing for the PRO Act, the unions that are pushing for the PRO Act, they're just trying to bring more democracy, give you more of a voice on the job. And the people who are fighting against it, like Jeff Bezos, they hate you, right? <laughs> I mean, that that that's just about all there is to it. We're going to have some more with Ryan Kakaris, uh, communications director with the Painters Union, on the other side of the break about the PRO Act. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. All right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host, David Story. That was Lee Baines and the Glory Fires playing us in. I'm rocking one of their shirts right now. You can see in, well, you can't see, but in little writing it says, done playing dead. And I think that's a good theme for uh, today's episode, talking about the PRO Act and, and uh, you know, how uh, the, the labor movement is really, we, we are really focused on getting this passed. And, and you know, Hamilton Nolan, uh, he, he's a writer and labor reporter for In These Times. He had a really good piece about how you uh, Unions spend so much money on getting Democrats elected because they don't openly try to kill us as much as the Republicans do. And how, you know, if we can't pass the PRO Act, like we've really got to assess, was it worth spending hundreds of millions of dollars not in dues money i want to make that clear for the audience you know because uh because people are told a lot of times that 
union dues are spent on political campaigns, and that is a lie. That's not true. But union members do voluntarily contribute to PACs, political action committees uh, that that the union runs, and and that we do spend on political campaigns. And so, and uh, you and you've seen the turnout in, in Georgia for right. the Senate. We and, sent, and, and we think and and that's so important. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. Ryan was saying earlier about the reason they started earlier, honestly, I don't think they started too early. Right. I think all of the other unions, my union including, late. if you're out there listening, <laughs> is late to the damn yeah. ball game. Absolutely. Get your ass in the game and quit playing on the sidelines. Absolutely. You know, that that's that's the point that I want to make and that's that's the reason we had Ryan on mm-hmm. and the and the reason you know, early on, we've seen uh, IUPAT with this strong push for the mm-hmm. PRO Act, and both of us was like, it's yeah. about time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're 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 serious. If we like, if we can't if we can't get get them to pass the pro act, you know, we need to consider a total and complete halt on unions spending money on Democrats until we can figure out what the hell is going on. Okay. Just I mean, saying. we need to do something. Yeah, we, we need, need to we, do something. So, uh, you know, we were talking on the other side on about what the PRO Act is doing or, or what it does. And, and one of the things that you kind of you mentioned, but we didn't really hit uh, uh, nail uh, uh, dig into it was the fact that it's going to prohibit a lot of this union busting kind of uh, retaliatory activity that employers engage in. And the interesting thing is that this is already illegal. Like you can't fire a, a, a worker for being pro-union legally. It is illegal to do that. And companies are, they routinely lose cases at the NLRB and they routinely have to offer fired union organizers their job back and they routinely have to pay back wages, but that's about it. And so for a company like Amazon, like Walmart, who, the, who have billions of dollars to spend on these efforts, Paying back wages for a few months is totally worth it. Worth it if you can keep for two or three employees. If you can keep a union out, and so what this act does, what the Pro Act does, is it increases the penalties for that. Not only are you going to have to pay back wages if you fire a pro union worker for being pro union, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to pay penalties on top of that. And the uh, the managers and the supervisors and the executives who direct that are going to be fined, and they could they could face criminal. Uh, or, or, I'm not sure if it's criminal, but they could face some kind of punishment. Uh, uh, you know, Ryan. I don't know. I may have saw your thunder there, but, but, <laughs> but. no, no, I mean, you're, you're spot on. And I think something important to point out too, is that right now, um, if you are fired for trying to organize your job and, you know, let's say, uh, you know, they could, the, the employer could drag this out for, you know, basically forever. Right. But you're fired. Um, you have to go out and get another job, right. Cause you can't survive on nothing. Uh, so if you go out and get a job when, if, and when that employer who fired you is found liable, and they have to pay back wages. They only have to pay the difference between what you are making at your new job and what you made at your old job. So really, they can mm-hmm. end up paying you basically nothing back. Wow. Uh, depending on how much you are making between yeah. those two jobs. So it's yeah. it's broken, and they know it's broken. It's broken intentionally. Um, so I, maybe even broken is the wrong word. It's working as intended, mm-hmm. but the method yeah. that you know it's intended basically to shield the employer. Um, and there's other stuff too. You know, there was a Supreme Court decision that basically says if you're an immigrant worker and you're undocumented. They don't have to pay you back wages at all. So they can just basically fire you and then you you have no recourse at all. And these companies know that. And that's why right. uh, th- that's why they know that like, you know, undocumented workers can't really organize, even though in theory they have the same uh, rights as us. They know that if you if you try to organize and they fire you, you know, it's a slap on the wrist. It could come a decade later. 
Um, it will always be cheaper for them to, to stamp out any sort of democracy to work uh, than it would be for them to actually like let you organize. Yeah, I was I was talking to Jacob just this past week about a, a group that I organized about two years ago had the entire bargaining unit signed mm-hmm. a cards except for one which is which is almost unheard of anywhere but especially unheard of in alabama i mean they everybody was was on board we come down to and, and of course they drug out the election as long as they could but then we come down to within one week of the election and the company goes from having to make uh i think it was 20 percent contributions on their health care for their employers to saying you know what uh, we've had a change of heart. We'll just we, we'll wipe away that twenty percent, and we'll give you free health care, and, and that's absolutely illegal. We all know it's illegal. They can't bribe in, in any other business. It's illegal to bribe somebody to, to to do something, and yet there's nothing that we can do. Our hands are tied. I mean, yes, we can we can go and file a, a ULP unfair labor practice with NLRB. But then, who's the bad guy in that mm-hmm. case? We oh, you know, look at look at what the union done. They got your health care taken away right. where you had to pay. So, and then the pro act does eliminate a lot of that BS that you see the company games play. And like you said, it is about democracy in the workplace. For anybody that thinks that it's not, they're they're fooling themselves. Well, and I think it's important to tell the ending of that story that the employer went back on that, right? Yeah, last year, well, <laughs> six months ago, yeah. you know, they started, of course, they, I mean, there's, there's nothing lasts forever unless, you, unless you're negotiating mm-hmm. it, but, uh, you know, they went back on it and they've contacted me, but it's difficult to put this drive back together because they, they've increased the bargaining unit quite, quite substantially since then. And it was illegal, just to, just to be perfectly clear, it was illegal when they'd done it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so frustrating about the company versus the workers is the company is constantly allowed and overlooked mm-hmm. to do all of these illegal things, and and it just gets sweet, swept under the table. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, one, th- there's a quote that kind of goes around every now and then that says, if the penalty for something is a fine, then the only people that it's illegal for are the poor. And, you know... That I, I, you know, I think that that's apropos here in, in in these situations because the the penalties are often not even fines, and when they're fines, they're very little fines, and they're not actually directly on the person doing the thing. It's on the company, and it comes out of the budget, and it's like it's worth it to keep a union out, and so they break the law on purpose. I mean, there's there was a timeline that I saw that 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 was written by uh, union attorneys. Uh, during a union busting campaign, I, I think it was Secrets of a Union Buster that that it was in this book or, or, or something. And there was a timeline of an elect of a union election that said, "Don't break the law here, break the law here." And I mean, you know, they do it on purpose. And so, so we're going to be talking some more about the Pro Act and what it does on the other side. Stay tuned. Put it there, boy. We'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. You may be surprised. People 
right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. On the line we have Ryan Kakaris, uh, the Communications Director for the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. We are talking about the PRO Act. We're just kind of going down the list of some of the big things that the PRO Act does. So, Ryan, one of the things that the PRO Act does is it increases protections for protests and strikes and remove some of the restrictions on uh, strikes and, and, and protest activity. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when the National Labor Relations Act was passed in 1935, it guaranteed uh, your right to strike for certain things. You know, among those were things like solidarity strikes, secondary boycotts, uh, basically a range of economic tools that workers could use uh, to basically enforce their demands. Things like the, uh, you know, some of the sit-down strikes, um, a lot of the very pivotal moments in labor's history were, were won with these tools. And over time, and then particularly under Taft-Harley, these were all made illegal. Uh, and so the PRO Act would restore your right um, to engage in some of these tactics. You know, things like, uh, if, if you've seen recently um, in New York with, with the Teamster strike where, uh, a Teamsters uh, truck driver refused to deliver, mm. refused to cross the picket line. The product would allow unions in different uh, areas of work to do that in support of each other. So, you know, if um, if we're construction workers and when we're we're striking or we're we're picketing outside of a, a project, this would allow uh, you know clerks or grocery store workers to to join us. Um, things like that, and it, it would greatly increase. And I, and I think. Personally, I think that is probably the mm-hmm. one of the single biggest things in the Pro Act that a lot of people might not be familiar with because they've been illegal for so long. But this would open up a, a world of possibilities for the labor movement to work in conjunction and, right. and to really uh, break down the barriers that kind of keep us so isolated and, and so stratified. Um, it, it would be an enormous difference for the average working person. And, and really what it's doing if you if you get down to the nuts and bolts of it what it's doing is restoring the original constitutional Mm -hmm. right of freedom of speech and freedom of assembly that's been taken away from working class for for a hundred years yeah i mean that's that's the fact if you want to look at it from a constitutionalist perspective and you know uh, i mean the the dynamics here are really important for for union members we recognize that organizing and collective action in a workplace is where we get that's where we get our power that's why union wages are higher that's why union working conditions are better it's because in a workplace we all come together if we can come together across workplaces we can do even more and there's a reason that that's one of the first things after the passage of the NLRA that bosses and corporate bought politicians tried to make illegal was cooperation across workplaces and across unions because the larger the, the, the more expansive our bounds of solidarity are, the more powerful the working class is. And so they want to do everything they can to atomize us and break up our collective power. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I, I think that, you know, as a, as, the, as a working person, right, our power comes from our ability to, to produce and then also to, to not produce right. um, and to not work. And, you know, they've more or less taken away from us the ability to say, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to work because these things are happening that I don't like, or you're doing these things to me and I'm going to stop working until you stop. They've taken that away from us um, for, you know, almost a hundred years now. You've had courts who would come down with just 
like extreme penalties on workers who do these sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, you know, right. right now, if if a union orders an illegal strike, th- that union could be more or less bankrupted by right. by the court system. Exactly. I um, mean, you saw that or the threat of that um, with the longshoremen out west, mm-hmm. yep. where they they got a judgment uh, because of a you know what was deemed an, an illegal work stoppage that I, I believe was valued more than the entire union itself. Yeah. So that they are under no pretenses. They will bankrupt a union that orders these sorts of things right now, and the PRO Act would let us do that without that fear. And there is no situation under current labor law where a company would ever get such a large fine that the company that, that the fine would be valued at more than the company. I mean, that just doesn't happen, and that shows how lopsided our labor law is in this country and exactly. how much the PRO Act can do to fix that. I mean, look, look at, you know, to, to use a, a morbid example, look at the the opioid manufacturers who are yeah. who are more or less throwing things they know are killing people. Um, and, and and my father was a construction worker who died from an opiate overdose, so I know this very personally. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, they, to hear that. sorry. They um you know look at the fine they got. It, it's pennies on the dollar yeah. compared to what a labor union would be fined for for literally just just telling people to do a, a secondary boycott or a uh, a sit down strike or something. I mean it. it the laws in this country are just extremely lopsided against working people. Well, and even if you want to take that farther and, and, and bring it into the actual labor movement itself, you can look at the meatpacking industry out and mm-hmm. uh, I, I yeah. can't remember if the Dakotas or something to where they were gambling on how many workers would get the COVID and numerous workers died and they were fined a few thousand dollars for for, right. for forcing these workers to come in. Basically, yeah, it's a to joke. give their life for the company and, and the so company we can fine. have food on our table so that everybody else in the country can have food on their table well i mean, I mean it's, the, 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 the food on the not nah, there was there's more than one way to to package yeah, yeah maybe yeah, no. it slows down production a little bit but there's more than one way to handle getting food on people's table than turning this into a joke and having people come in and work sick and cover up for those people i mean it, it's not like there wasn't the, right. I, yeah. Yeah. I, the, it, look at the look at the case. It's yeah. sickening to see the amount of money this company was fined for for kill for 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 ostensibly murder. Yeah. For murder, where anyone else in the country would go to jail, would go to prison, they're they're slapped on the wrist with a little fine and said, "Oh well, it was just a worker." At, yeah. I'm trying not to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is really sickening. And the Pro Act, of course, it's not gonna it's not gonna fix all. It's not gonna totally fix all of the lopsided. There are lopsided laws across the books, but in labor law, it will go a long way into making it more fair. Uh, the next thing, let, let's talk about employee mis- uh, misclassification. Ryan, yeah, I'll, so, I'll let you take that away. Yeah, I mean, so th- this is a a. This is commonly, I think, thought of as like, you know, Uber and Lyft and Instacart and a lot of the, the quote, gig economy, right? But uh, worker misclassification from the construction standpoint is one of the most pervasive and uh, destructive issues in the industry right now. Um, you know, if you're, if you're looking at a house being built, right, uh, this is kind of like a, an example, but you know, you'll have a, a general contractor who will hire a bunch of uh, what they call subcontractors for all the various trades and then what we're seeing and what, what's been happening, I think, particularly since the 2008 economic crash was now, um, let's say you're a painting subcontractor, you would hire, let's say, 30 painters. Um, 
And, and, oh, and then you'll say each one of those painters is an independent subcontractor. Yeah, right. So they're all 1099 workers. Um, and, and really the point of that is that it shifts liability down to the, the individual. Yep. Um, so if something happens, the company can say, well, they're not an employee of ours. They're, they're mm-hmm. an independent subcontractor. They're their own little mini business. Um, and, and what follows that is just a whole host of, uh, of terrible things like wage theft, um, just safety violations. And, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is that independent subcontractors have no labor rights. Yep. So it's, it's basically like an easy trick to totally make labor law not apply to, to millions of workers. Um, and we see that all across the, the construction industry. And then that ties in with a lot of other things like, you know, undocumented workers who, who are even under more risk because then not only are they misclassified that if they, if they speak up or try and organize, they have that added threat of saying, well, Ooh, we'll just call ICE or we'll, we'll get you deported or, you know, we'll threaten you in ways that, you know, go beyond that. So we see that all over the place. And, and particularly in the South, um, you see a, a strong correlation between uh, a lower union density and higher cases of um, this worker misclassification. So the PRO Act would would basically uh, greatly increase the threshold that would would be required to be a quote independent subcontractor. And it would more or less end uh, worker misclassification in the construction industry, as well as in the gig economy. So you're all those Uber and Lyft drivers. And we saw kind of a preview of this fight uh, in California with first um, AB5, then Proposition 22. Um, And more or less the PRO Act would have taken AB5 and would made it a national law to where Mm -hmm. these companies can't just say, Oh, every person who works for me is not actually an employee of mine, even though they clearly are. They're all these little mini, uh, mini micro businesses that we call subcontractors or 1099 workers. And, yeah, and man, we talked about that a few months ago after after that legislation was passed in California. And for all all of the industrial unionists out there, uh, which I'm a part of, that says, well, that's just affecting this small portion of work group. And now it's spreading into uh, mm-hmm. the construction industry and the trades industry. Make no mistake that that is the game plan and it's always the game plan that the these the companies don't think about this short term they yeah. get a small foothold in one specific area and it starts branching out and that exact same thing can happen and does happen in an industrial union as well uh with with a, a good example is it workers the workers down in disney world you know they're 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 full-time employees they're told to train their new uh uh what do you call it replacements yeah replacements yeah. The, the the independent contractors mm-hmm. to, you know so it and that's the game yeah that and, is and, the game yeah and you know just talking about the the creep i mean there there's a grocery store in california that immediately after prop 22 passed they fired all of their delivery drivers and now they're going to be using exclusively yeah. um you know some kind of uh 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 rideshare service like like They're uber eats for or your something job. i mean that's that's exactly uh, you know it's it's not going to be confined to uber and lyft and these jobs like this it's going to branch out as far you know as far as they can take it they'll go as far as they can take it we're going to have ryan on for one more segment uh we're going to talk about how what the pro act does with right to work laws and then we want to talk about why the pro act is something that's important specifically for non-union workers we want to make make sure that it's clear that it doesn't just help 
union workers. It's going to primarily, in fact, help non-union workers. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. On the line we have Ryan Kakaris, the Communications Director for the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. We are talking about the PRO Act. So the last kind of big thing, unless there's anything you want to talk about as far as the functionality of the law, is what it does to right-to-work laws. Yeah, so I mean, right now you're looking at, I think, a slight majority of all the the states in the country uh, have passed the right-to-work law. Um, the, the long story short and the good news is that the PRO Act would eliminate all of them. Um, it would make right to work illegal across the country. Uh, and so any, if you live in a right to work state right now, you wouldn't after the PRO Act passes. Yeah. And so there and so there you go. I mean, that's that that's that's the um, a, a huge part of, of the PRO Act. It's a very, very good thing eliminating right to work across the country. Uh, and I don't want to spend too much time on that uh, just because we're. Um, we're about halfway through the show now, and we did an excellent. Uh, we had an excellent interview with uh, Daniel Harris, um, who was the uh, uh, political review opinion editor for the University of Chicago about to right to work uh, and why for less. Yeah, let's yeah. clarify that. I mean, right, and why uh, and why those laws must we got to kill them across the country. And so, if you want to learn more about right to work, why it's bad, you can find that interview on our YouTube channel. And so, you know, Ryan, to to kind of round it out, I want to you know make a pitch to the non-union listeners in the audience about why why should people that don't have a union in their workplace care about the Pro Act? Yeah, I mean, you know, like look. I think we all understand that the, the the backlash against this bill when this really starts uh, taking off is going to be very heated. Um, the 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 business community, the employer associations, the non-union lobbying firms, and anti-union consultants are going to come out uh, full force against us, as you saw in California with with AB five, and, um, and already and are right now. I mean, I've I've seen several op-eds already being written. Yeah, written this past exactly. You're already seeing. I think the National Right to Work Foundation has put yep. up a. Uh, a kind of a counter campaign to ours. Um, it's something stupid like the free enterprise zone or something. Um, so you're going to see that, right? And, and what they're going to say is that the PRO Act is just a handout to, you know, the, the, the big union fat cats and, you know, the, all those stereotypes of, you know, these like guys smoking cigars. And But, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, really, the biggest benefactor of the PRO Act would be non-union workers, primarily in the U.S. South. Um, so if you're a Southern mm-hmm. worker who doesn't have a union, the Pro Act will give you the tools to make one if you wanted one. Um, and if not, the good news is that as union density rises, um, conditions rise for every worker. Yep, right. So it, it would benefit you in the South. Uh, and if you're a non-union worker, the most primarily, because the people in the union right now, um, you know, they still have problems, obviously, and they still suffer from a lot of these laws, but they, they do have a level of security that the, our non-union sisters and brothers don't. And right. so really what the PRO Act is, is aimed at is increasing the rights of non-union workers, restoring the rights that your grandparents had, and, and putting you in an even playing field to say that your voice at work matters, and it matters just as much, if not more, than the employers. Yeah. Right. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean that that that's that's exactly right. I couldn't have said it better myself. And you know, to kind of uh, to kind of illustrate the point about uh, union workers having a bit more security than non-union workers, um, I, this is something that just came out last week. The BLS numbers, uh, the the Bureau of Labor Statistics came out. Uh, the, they came out with their uh, annual numbers uh, last week. And Strikewave, uh, you know, some uh, friends of ours did a good breakdown on their website uh, of what those numbers mean. And and one of the interesting things is that union membership fell by. 321,000. Uh, but the union membership rate went up. And the reason for that is because so many more non-union jobs were lost that the proportion of union jobs actually got higher. And that really illustrates that even in even in this time, you know, when union worker there are a lot of union workers out of work right now, but if you're a union worker, you are less likely to, you know, you've got job security. You, you, uh, in, in almost all of these contracts, you've got significantly better job security than your non-union uh, uh, counterparts. And when you get fired, or you know, when you have to be laid off, when something happening happens with the company's budget, you're going to have a negotiated severance package that you and your sisters and brothers on the job negotiated with your boss to make it fair to you as you transition into a different job. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Rob. I mean that, that, that's kind of a dire example, and you know the fact that we're all hurting really badly. But um, the ability to form a union, mm. um, you know, it does give you a little bit of a, a added layer of security. And really, what it does is it it says your voice at work matters, and the things that you prioritize, you have a, a vehicle with which to negotiate on behalf of them. Um, and you know, like I said, I grew up in the South. Almost everyone I know down there, um, in, in back in Virginia, North Carolina. They don't have a union and they have no recourse and no say at all. They are totally at the mercy of, you know, acts of God and their employer. Um, And it's very unfortunate. And the Pearl Act would, I think, give them that voice back. Yeah. Yeah. And and before we let you go, Ryan, a personal favor from us, because we've got IUPAT local here, I think in Sheffield or Muscle Shoals, somewhere in the Tri-Cities area, which is about. Uh, 30 miles, 40 miles from us. But I don't know if you, if you've got some brothers down here, because I mean, the entire reason we put this show together was to organize the South, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean that we both recognize the power that, that it brings to the working class. And we've got, you know, the iron workers sign on the machinist union. We got a lot of different unions that work with us and we try to provide, you know, information to workers and and that's one segment of the industry in the south probably the least represented mm-hmm. is the construction industry i mean we've got the iron workers we've got ibw uh steam fitters and pipe fitters uh but you know general construction workers are not represented i would say yeah there's less than there's a lot of room for growth. Per- yeah no kidding so we would like to yeah. get them engaged and, and maybe they are and we just don't know it but I and I know there's a I, I know there's a local over there because I work with a brother at my plant that come from there. Uh, yep. They're just they're they're a vocal mi- or you know a minority in the, in the area, and we want we want to yep. push their voice as well because it's apparent that your international is fire right now. I yep. mean they know what we're doing. <laughs> I mean it's it's important to point out and it's important to give credit where credit's due is your international is leading the fight that we should all be following. Yeah. And I don't see anybody else doing it. Yep. And I would like to get those brothers and sisters over very engaged. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to pass the word along. I, I, I don't quote me on this, but I do believe our local is in Muscle Shoals. But we have yeah. um, we have locals all across the South. I mean, now, admittedly, our, our density is much lower there than I would like it to be. And I think that, right. that they would like it to be as well. But, um, you know, we are an international union. We have uh, our district council, 77, uh, represents most of the old, you know, the, the old South, I guess you could say, uh, from North Carolina down to uh, Georgia and then, and then West as well. Um but yeah, happy to happy to pass the word along and happy to get them involved. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's great. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, no, Ryan, anytime, man, I appreciate have, it. Have you got any closing thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the only my only uh, request to to my sisters and brothers in the South, and and I would say, you know, on a personal note, uh, organizing the South is kind of like my, uh, you know, the, the, that is my probably primarily primary goal in my career and in my my activism. So um, I'm happy to, to do the show. My only request would be if you want to get involved in this fight, uh, go to passtheproact.org. Uh, that's passtheproact.org. Uh, you can sign up to be a, an individual supporter, or if you are a, a union rep, or a, you know you work for a nonprofit or an allied group, uh, you can sign up for your on behalf of your your group as well. But we want to get more people involved, and we're going to need all of us to get involved. Yeah, if we want to win this fight. Yep. 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 Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate your time. Sincerely. No, anytime, guys. Yep. All right. Uh, so, everybody, that was Ryan Kakaris. He is the communications director for the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. If you want to uh, see what he's tweeting, you can follow the you can follow IUPAT on Twitter at go IUPAT. They got a really really good follow on Twitter there. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and set up what we're going to be talking about in the next segment and then we'll actually talk about it in the next segment and and what we wanted to talk about is is the first few days of the biden administration um you know i i uh uh we have been more happy with the first few days of the biden administration than we've been for the first days of uh of like any administration in our lifetimes and now you know of course for me it's that's not too hard there's not i haven't really witnessed the start of uh too many administrations but i mean david has been around for like 20 or 30 presidents so you know i mean that's uh <laughs> so that's pretty impressive for him to be uh for him to be so happy with with the biden admin at, yeah at and time. i've been you know and if you follow the show at all or listen to the show on a regular basis i've been you know my entire life i have been absolutely uh, degrading and down on every administration that I can remember. Uh, from, I mean, from the time that I can remember administrations and the earliest that, that I have a recollection is under, uh, Jimmy Carter and yeah. every one of them, including him. And I know everybody loves Jimmy Carter is easy because mm-hmm. he does a lot of good work, the uh, through Habitat for Humanity. Yeah. But as, as far great. as administration goes, terrible. Yeah. The most beloved on the right, Ronald Reagan, even worse. Yeah. Bill Clinton following him. Just as bad. Horrendous with NAFTA. It just goes on and on. So, you know, we had somebody reach out to us this past week complaining because Trump was out of office and we were still, you know, covering him. And it's like, well, you know, we we cover everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but you know I mean when uh, when somebody does good we we want to say it and, and you know Biden has been doing doing pretty good pretty, uh, good. pretty darn good uh, if you want to talk about talk to us about it after we get through with our spiel uh, you can give us a call one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six and we'll try to address some of those concerns there so we're going to be talking about the first few days of the Biden administration on the other side of this break stay tuned.
You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. We are talking about the first few days of the Biden administration, and I said that, like, it's been really good. It's not all been good, and so we want to talk about those things, too, and so so we're going to front load the bad stuff, okay? Bad thing number one, his administration is apparently going to recognize Juan Guaido as the leader of Venezuela. Like, that's... So much for democracy. Yeah, that's crazy. That's absurd. I mean, you know, like whatever you think about Maduro, you know, like he's obviously got like there's like bad things there, but you can't just decide that, oh, you know, I'm going to cheat. I as you know, I am going to choose the leader of some random country like that. You can't do that. That's not. And so, you know, I'm really hoping that we don't see this administration take a turn towards regime change and um, look and enormous sanctions. They've always done that. Yeah. That well, ain't going to change. Hopefully, we'll have enough pushback in Congress uh, that that we're that we're not able to. Uh, that, no. that he's not going to. Well, you have. Anyway. Boy, I tell you yeah, what. I know. I, well, God hey, Almighty, you're uh, yeah. We'll that, see. Yeah. When does it ever happen? I mean, I U.S. imperialism no, is so important yeah. in Congress. You know, it's just bipartisan. Bipartisan it foreign is policy. Bipartisan. I mean, you know, that's uh, that that's you know. It, the it, it, when foreign policy is concerned, we've got like one party, and that's not that's not really. And I think um, it's important to point out for all those on the right that think you know all of these uh, undocumented immigrants that are coming from the south are just coming for no reason at yeah. all. It's because of our. It foreign is policy. because of our foreign yeah. policy, because- and it's because we constantly do our best to overturn democratically elected leaders right. in central south america and yeah. and and uh not so much in mexico but they they use the flex mm-hmm. uh of we're going to do this or we're going to do that right. we're going to withhold funds yeah to we're going to sanction we're going to sanction you we're going to keep uh necessary medications from being imported into your country i mean you know like who would have yeah. thought when you destroy a country that they're going to have refugees that want to that want to come to your go country go figure i mean go figure Okay. The next thing, and this is something that, again, here we've got one party when it comes to the foreign policy apparatus. He appointed uh, Mobile, Alabama man Lloyd Austin to Secretary of Defense. To the acclamation of the Alabama Democratic Party and former Huntsville City Council President Devin Keith on Twitter because he's the first black man in that post. And, uh, yeah, man, and look. Like, that's great. I'm happy that there's a black man in the post. We need more representation. Diversity, diversity for its own sake is good. Okay. It's a good thing. And, but it's not the only thing. And it is far more important that Lloyd Austin was still, as of yesterday, listed as a board of director for Raytheon. It's more important that we had to get a a waiver for the second time in a row. Because he was, he's so quickly out of the military. Our founding fathers set up a system 
so that we had civilian control of the military. And now, after Trump's Secretary of Defense and now Biden's Secretary of Defense, we have had to twice get a waiver to put somebody so quick that has so soon retired out of the military in charge of the military. I mean, we, we need to have civilian control of the military, and we need to have some, like, it is not good to have somebody who is so embedded in Raytheon, in, in the military-industrial complex, heading up the military. I mean, there's an obvious conflict of interest there that, that you're going to have with somebody who is who, who, who will directly profit from the expansion of wars and uh, imperialist excursions across the globe heading up our military. I mean, it's just not good. It's not good at all. It was bad when Trump did it. It was bad when Bush did it. It's bad when Biden does it. Okay? Okay. So you're talking bad about Biden. Now. Talking bad about Biden. Terrible. Here's, We're going to lose all of our Democratic uh, listeners. Democratic well, listeners no, nothing if oh, not fair. Lord. And uh, you know, I got we got somebody calling in. We're gonna we're we're gonna try to get through this list of stuff. So we'll probably bring you in on the last segment if we've got time. Um, but uh, so here's something, here's something that's a bit more controversial among union folks. And maybe maybe actually David and I have divergent opinions on this. And this will be the last thing that's kind of a bad. Um, kind of a not great thing and but but you know this was controversial among union folks and and maybe david and i will have divergent opinions on this but well it wouldn't be the first time it wouldn't be the first time uh biden canceled the keystone pipeline uh which did in fact have union workers doing the construction um some of the unions involved or all of the unions involved i think criticized the decision including the plumbers and steam fitters union the laborers international union and the north american building trades union there were approximately 600 union jobs Already created with the prospect for more pipeline enthusiasts they're going to cite like an 11,000 they're, they're going to say that 11,000 jobs will have been created but a lot of groups really challenge that number um and i well, think here in huntsville kind of horse crap that they do whenever they talk about all of these it, ancillary companies exactly coming. well i think here it's in huntsville here in huntsville we've got the experience of remington that we can draw on yeah. you know we we recognize that when these big corporations want to get work they're going to inflate the benefits and so i'm skeptical of the 11,000 jobs number but look let's say it would have been 11,000 jobs creating 11,000 jobs is a good thing but i think we do have to get serious about fighting climate change and we've got to get serious about recognizing uh respecting recognized native land this was going to be built on native american treaty land this was their land and it doesn't matter if you can create a billion jobs well, if you propose to do it on another sovereign country's territory and they say no you can't just up and do it. You got to respect other sovereign countries, which is what these Native American tribes are. They are uh, legally respected according to our constitution and the treaties that we've made with their tribes. They are sovereign nations. And so, you know, on the climate change aspect, again, we know that the Biden administration is going to make a lot of moves that are is going to create way more than 11,000 jobs, even for these unions. And the unions know that. They're not stupid. That's why they endorsed Biden. They endorsed well, Biden after they knew that he after he announced he was going to cancel the Keystone Pipeline. They didn't they didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't not know what they were getting into. OK, so uh, my preference would have been that he announced work near the side of the pipeline that would have employed the same workers immediately so that we could just skip this whole disingenuous show with Republicans pretending that they care about union jobs. But ultimately, I reckon it's good. That's my take. 
That's your take. That's my take. My take's quite simple. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I, I'm, I'm, I, I teeter back and forth on this. I recognize we need green energy. We need to move away from hydrocarbons. But for the Republicans or for anybody really to say this is destroying union jobs, mm-hmm. a pipeline is an automated process of right. moving oil. Can you imagine the amount of Teamsters it's going to take to truck oil from mm. Canada yeah. to the Gulf Coast? I mean, it's going. It's 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 no different than the automation anywhere else in any other industry. Right. I'm, I, you know, and I recognize a there's a lot of trade unions in that area that they're saying are going to lose jobs. And I was talking to a brother last night about this exact same thing. He was a former IBW member. You know him well. And the fact is, anybody that's in trade unions know that you will never lose a job for more than a day. You know, as soon as this job site closes down, you have the opportunity to get your name on a job board anywhere in the nation. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the wonderful things about working in union trades, especially electricians, uh, the iron workers. If you want to go, if you, if the job site shuts down here in Muscle Shoals, and in many cases, they don't even shut the job site down. They choose to go to work in New Jersey, New York, and a lot of these northern states because the wage rates are so high comparatively speaking to ours so those workers those union tradesmen women are going to be on another job site within a week yeah so hey we got a we got a caller that wants to now, I oh, mean, I, I, there, you want to get through your yeah. Field? There's there, there's a bunch of other things. So uh, so those were the bad things, right? I, and I don't. So the the reason I don't want to, and I'm sorry, caller. I don't, I don't want to take you right now because I do want to get through the good things. And, and and the last thing was kind of a mixed bag. I think it was good. A lot of people. Well, he don't, wanted to talk fine. about Biden anyway. So he'll, he'll, yeah. So you know, we'll so we'll, this we'll will give, give you a chance. more ammunition. We'll we'll try to give you a chance. But but I do want to get through this stuff. So first one of the first the first good thing I want to talk about. Is the NLRB. Okay, if you recall, we had an interview with Paul Prescott, a Philadelphia high school teacher, political coordinator for the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers, and a contributing editor for Jacobin Magazine about Trump's anti-worker labor board. In that interview, we talked about how the U.S. Chamber of Commerce put out uh, 10 anti-worker actions they'd like to see the NLRB take, and the fact that the NLRB has taken action on all 10 of those. They've restricted free speech rights for workers, which this administration supposedly, I hear, cares about free speech, but not when it comes to workers. Um, They allowed for expedited union decertification campaigns uh, where no such thing exists for union certification campaigns. We talked about that with Ryan just a second ago and so much more, just completely disregarding principle and precedent in favor of corporate priorities. All you need to know about the the outgoing uh, National Labor Relations Board lawyer was he fired all the Patco airline right. workers. He busted the Patco yeah, strike. I mean, that's yeah. That, that's, that's exactly all you right. need to know. I mean, the the Biden administration has now fired the general counsel of the labor board, Peter Robb, and this uh, the second in command, uh, the Trump appointed lawyer Alice Stock. Both of these were management side attorneys, uh, and and like he said, Peter Robb was even. Um, integral in the air traffic controllers firing them under Reagan. And it's worth asking yourself, right? If Trump is supposed to be pro-worker, why 
the hell would Trump appoint management side attorneys to the labor board? Yeah, well, D- does he think thing. that corporations and international oligopolies don't get a fair shake in this country? Does he think that workers have it too easy? Because that's the only explanation for appointing management side attorneys to the labor board. It's absurd. Yeah. And and so, you know. Let's talk about Biden because I've said it before. I've said it this past week. I'm done with Trump. I don't yeah. want to hear anybody talking about Trump no more. He's gone. Let's move on. Well, I mean, that's look, you know, I, that's well, it's it's important because it's relevant because <laughs> Peter Wright was relevant. in up until but two it, days ago. And so that's yeah. talking about the transition is, is you know, yeah, it's important it. and relevant. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick so, of him because the, the because here's the thing. The liberal media and, and, and believe it or not, there's a lot of people out there listening to us on the conservative radio that think that we listen to liberal media constantly. Right. The liberal media is going to continue pimping Trump every move for, for the next two years because it's good clickbait. Well, and I'm sick I mean, of it. Yeah. Well, I don't. But I, mean, I, I agree no, no, with no. what you say. I digress. Yeah. So, you know, just think about that. That. Well, I, I, I do want to illustrate this one, one more point as we go through these. All of these things were stuff that Biden did on day one, and that Trump had could have done every single day and chose not to. Okay, that's something to keep in your mind. Trump, every day he was in office, chose not to do these things. Okay. Uh, so. The Department of Education, at the request of Biden, suspended all federal student loan payments and interest payments through September. This is something that and Trump did, uh, but that Biden extended. That's very important. The Biden administration bolstered DACA, which is something that like ninety has like ninety percent support among the public because, of course, uh, Trump tried to overturn it. Let's remember uh, for absolutely no reason, and the court stopped it because it was sloppy. But there was a challenge. There was a, a still ongoing challenge in Texas, and this puts a stop to that. Biden put a hundred day uh, moratorium on deportation so that his administration can assess priorities and actually spend the limited time and resources on things that matter. And uh, another one of his orders allowed for the prioritization of violent undocumented immigrants in the deportation process, which is something that was not allowed under the Trump administration. Like, he issued an order that uh, stopped ICE and immigration officials from putting violent, uh, uh, rapacious uh, thugs in the at the front of the deportation line uh, because it, he didn't care about making our community safer. He cared about looking tough on immigrants. Yeah. Another uh, another ish, executive order that he issued banned discrimination based on gender identity and sexual orientation uh, or more accurately used the order to clarify the executive branch's position on the Civil Rights Act, which you shouldn't be able to fire a person because they're trans or gay, okay? This is just fundamental insanity. stuff. I, there's like three or four more things I'm going to hit really quick, let folks know about, and then we'll bring the caller on and, and see what to see what they've got to say. So stay tuned. This is the Valley Labor Report. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. Welcome back. 
to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host, David Story. Mike, if you want to call us back, 1-866-494-9866 is the number. Going to get through these things really quick, and then uh, we'll, we'll try to get you on the line if you've got something you want to say. But uh, So another executive order that Biden issued directed OSHA to review and update its policies and enforcement procedures regarding the pandemic, which is long overdue. You'll recall that we talked uh, a few months ago about the lackluster performance of OSHA. There were tens of thousands of reported violations, and only hundreds of them were investigated. And ultimately, uh, when we talked about it, only 12 fines were issued, which is insane. So this, with, with, with this new executive order, it signals a more proactive federal government determined to actually protect the health and safety of American workers, which is important. He issued an executive order mandating that all federal contractors have a $15 an hour minimum wage and that their employees get vaca- paid vacation. Fantastic. Why would we be giving government contracts to people that don't pay their workers enough? It happens like, constantly. That's, that's it terrible. It happens constantly. So, wage theft is, is, runs yeah. rampant in government mm-hmm. contracts. So th- this is something that he's he's looking to address. He issued another executive order clarifying that workers have a right to refuse unsafe work and that this does not disqualify them from unemployment, which is a huge change from the last administration. Uh, really, really excited to, th- to see this. This is going to give uh, workers a lot more leverage when they're thinking about, okay, do I want to go back to work yet? Uh, where am I going to go back to work? Am I going to go back to work in a place that respects me as a person, as a human, as a worker? Or do I have to take this job where the boss knows that if I leave, I will get evicted and I won't have health care? You know, it, it just gives people a lot more options, which is very important uh, during this time. Uh, Biden also extended the eviction moratorium, which was a set to expire. Uh, so... Another important thing. Very important. Uh, And finally, the last thing that I wanted to highlight was that um, Biden um, put a a new person at the head of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, which is something that my union has to deal with a lot. Uh, And and, uh, under the previous administration, we had been – the union had been disallowed from using official time to represent people in – uh, equal opportunity or equal employment opportunity cases, which is absurd. You, you know, if you think about it, that union representatives, union stewards are the people that they know the workers uh, better than anybody else. And so who better than the union representatives and union stewards to represent people in equal opportunity cases? Well, you're kind of making your case for why they wanted to right. do it. And so that, Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So they don't want worker representation. Yeah, so there's going to be there there's going to be a, a reversal of the previous administration's stance there and you know, I mean that's like this is all huge and I mean this is all like really big stuff that is good for workers uh taking place in just the first few days. Um and especially him firing the general counsel of the uh of the labor board, that hasn't happened ever. There has never been a president fire the general counsel of the labor board. They've always waited until their term expired to replace them. And so Biden taking that proactive step to um, protect workers from a management side attorney heading up the labor board. I mean, this is really, really good news for workers across the country. It's 
Uh, you know, I'm under no disillusion that that the administration is going to be great for workers, and I've said that for right. for months now. But it, it, he's not doing a bad job. So I don't, yeah. you know, I don't know if somebody got in the the, the Democratic Party's ear and said, mm-hmm. uh, "Workers are taking a beating, and if we're going to continue to get elected, we're going to have to do something." I don't know what happened, but for certain. 40 years of anti-worker government on both sides has finally changed and and i hope it continues but also it's important to point out that it will not continue so long as everybody and not so much the the labor movement because the labor movement rank and file labor movement have always been uh a little bit more pressing but uh so long as we have a liberal elite that kind of thinks that oh we've got one of our own in office so mm-hmm. now we can go back to brunch and brunch yep. is still canceled for all of y'all that want to know yeah uh it, and and that's the reason we had we had ryan on today mm-hmm. because it doesn't end today it didn't end two days ago right this fight continues forever absolutely it never ends yeah getting getting biden in the White House and getting Warnock and Ossoff in the Senate, that is the start of the fight in my mind. But yeah. because I mean, you know, before we we were just fighting not to die, basically, and now we were on defense. We, now yeah, it's time now, to play offense. Now it's time to play offense. We got we've got to fight just as hard as we were before. And you know, like uh, with, with those the the first things that I opened with, you know, even even in this good week, there were several things that I uh, you know that that I didn't like and we're not going to be when we do talk about politics you know I mean I think this is the first time that we've actually um spent this much time on on politicians rare. in a it's hot rare. minute but when we do talk about it we're not going to be shy to criticize uh and and that's important you know I think I've seen some of the stuff on CNN has just been really silly like there's this one one guy talking about how the lights around the mall represent Joe Biden's arms around America it's like give me a Yeah well break. I think I it's mean, important to point God. out that both both because we listen to this uh, this station as well and a lot of the hosts that come on here we're not the, just let's make this perfectly clear we're not the ones pimping the parties. Yeah, yeah. If you want to hear the party pimping plan, then yeah, stick with MSNBC the other. Well, go to MSNBC or, or turn into one of the other co-hosts or one of the other hosts on this radio store. Right. We're, we're not going to be talking about how great it is. What we're going to be talking about is what legislation needs to be passed moving forward. Right. And Simple what, as that. Yeah, we're going to be talking about what they did, what they can do, and what they ought to do, and what we can do to push them when we talk about it. And when we're not talking about it, which is going to be most of the time, we're going to be talking about what you can do right now to make your to, to make your life and the life of your sisters and brothers on the job and the life of your family and your community better which is to organize your workplace form a union make your union stronger if you've got one and that that is that is the very important thing but grassroots no change ever happens from the top right, right. no change ever happens from the top it's going to have to be grown grassroots. It's going to have to the the NLRB and the NLRA wasn't formed out of the benevolence. We've talked about it before, out of the benevolence of the federal government. It was formed because the workers were demanding better. Right. They were demanding more. They were on strikes. You had the Haymarket massacre where workers were were murdered. You you had uh, Manitowoc, West Virginia, 
where workers were murdered by the federal government, by the by the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. All of the workers' rights was formed out of the struggle for the worker just to have a seat at the table, not to steal the plate, right? Just to have a seat at the table, right? Right. Yeah, and that's and and you know that's that's why getting the Pro Act passed is so important because it. Uh, you know, it, it'll it'll help reconstitute our seat at the table because over time, like Ryan was saying, our seat at the table has been chipped away at. It's been cut at little by little, a death by a thousand cuts, and now we're you know, it's like we've got a kid chair at the table, and and we it, don't even have a kid you know, chair. We yeah. get the crumbs that scraped off. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's about time that it's about time that bosses start taking us seriously. It's about time that corporations start taking us ser- seriously, and it's about time that uh, politicians start taking workers seriously, and uh, so you know we hope that the Biden administration will uh, will do that, and we will uh, be at the forefront of the effort to challenge him when we doesn't. And with that, folks, we will sign off, and we will see you next week.